Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us a faith that is more precious than gold, upon which the prophets had longed, that had searched for with diligence, and which angels long to look upon. May we be mindful and encouraged by this, placing our hope in Christ alone. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Have you ever looked upon something that held such beauty it made you pause for a minute? For one of the, one of the memories of this that I have was when I first saw Zion. Perhaps if you've been there, you know where I'm talking about when you come through the tunnel, and then all of a sudden that canyon just opens up before you. I remember stopping in the first pullout and being on the verge of tears because it was so beautiful. Perhaps for you, it is something in nature like what I described, or the first time that you saw your wife or held your child in your arms after they were born. Beauty has a way of giving us pause. And in a sense, St. Peter appeals to this beauty by saying that angels long to look into the truth of the gospel because it is so incredibly amazing and valuable. We continue this week to work through St. Peter's first epistle. And St. Peter, in this passage that we'll look at this morning, affirms yet again how valuable our faith is. This morning, we will read from 1 Peter and see what he says. He writes from verse 10 in chapter 1, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were seeing not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news and to you by the Holy Spirit from the heavens, the things which the angels long to look. When I was a little kid, as many, as, you, as many of you know, I grew up sailing a lot. And one of my favorite things was taking our little rowboat and going around and exploring little nooks and crannies in the seashore. And one day I realized a vast majority of this earth is already known. A vast majority of this earth has been found by explorers. And I grew kind of sad because there's something within us that longs to explore. But for the prophets, they dug and depth looked into the depths of the truth of that which God was revealing to them. The prophets searched and looked forward to, like what we read this morning from the prophet Jeremiah, looked forward to the coming of Christ. And yet they couldn't quite understand what this was. They imagined something being recreated, those things which were lost because the covenants were not kept. The Old Testament points to this recreation, points to the coming of Christ in the New Testament, 
and tells us clearly and subtly at other times that he will come and dwell among us. Earlier this week, for another thing, I was reading through the blessings and curses of Moses. The blessings which said, if you keep this covenant which I have spelt out, I will bless you, said Yahweh to his people. Or the curse is that if you don't keep this covenant, I will curse you. And the curse is interestingly specific. It says basically that you will be exiled from this land which I have promised to you. And I read through this and thought about that. And then a few days later, in at evening prayer, we read about that very exodus. About how when Israel didn't keep the covenant and were warned again and again and again, repent. And they didn't. They were exiled from the land which the Lord had given them. This reminds us of how the promises of God throughout Scripture will be kept. He doesn't just say things that we can't trust, but rather his very word is trustworthy. And it's fascinating to look upon these promises that he's made. But the promise that recurred throughout the Old Testament was one of restoration, one which was kept in Christ. And it is these truths that the prophets look upon, look and search and desire to see fulfilled. One of the commentaries that I've been reading through for this project wrote as such, the message of the prophets and pronounced God's judgment on the sin of the people. But it does not stop with judgment. The final vision of the Old Testament is not that of dry bones in a death, in death valley. Rather, it is renewal beyond conceiving. The prophets picture the restoration of all that had been lost the land, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood. But restoration does not look back to recover the past. It looks forward to God's final renewal. God's fulfillment will transform everything. Not only the remnant of Judah and Israel will be gathered, but the remnant of the Gentiles will be gathered with them. Not just Israel, but Egypt and Assyria will be called the people of God. Eden will be restored and more. God will make a new creation where peace will be universal and darkness will be gone. All of this is borne witness to in the Old Testament. All of this is what the prophets were searching for. And it was revealed to them that they were, <clears throat> rather, they were inquiring. What person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They looked for the Spirit and heard the Word. It was through the Spirit that they were able to prophesy and spell out that which was coming. And it was the Word, the Word of God, which, was, which came to dwell among us. And for this, Christ's suffering and glory gives us hope. They foresaw that suffering and glory, but perhaps did not understand it in its fullness. For suffering is a sign of that coming glory. And we are bound together when we suffer to Christ who suffered for our sake, for the forgiveness of sin. 
The same commentator explains this perhaps far better than I will ever be able to. When he writes, the pattern of suffering and glory has a profound meaning for the church. Job's anguish, acquisitions from the ashes, anguishes from the ashes, an astounding answer. Our suffering is not a sign that Christ has betrayed us or that he is no longer Lord. Rather, it is a sign of fellowship with the risen Lord who first suffered for us. Suffering indeed becomes a sign of the glory that is to follow. But Peter is not announcing a general principle that those who look for reward must be prepared to pay in suffering. The prophets did not enunciate a principle. They predicted the suffering and glory of the one who is himself the Lord. Christ is the end of prophecy, the glory, the goal of history. He is not one example of suffering and glory among many. His is the suffering that brought salvation. His is the glory that brings new creation. Jesus is therefore not simply the one of whom the prophets speak. He is the one who speaks through the prophets. The prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch all of that? Christ's suffering brings us salvation, and when we suffer, we are bound together with Christ. For we know that this world has its own hardships. The world, we will have struggles. But yet in those struggles, we are bound to Christ, and we see Christ's resurrection as a promise that one day, too, we will be resurrected, and we will experience his glory. And this gives us an incredible hope. Hope that our struggles are not in vain. Our suffering is not without meaning. Hope that we are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven, citizens of a greater thing. And this is what it means to proclaim the good news. For the good news proclaimed by Christ was repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here now amongst us in Christ, and we who are in Christ are in that kingdom. St. Peter then goes on to write that it was revealed to them that they were serving, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you have now announced, that they have now announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This doctrine of Christ's suffering and his glory gives us hope in the here and now. And again, we are reminded that it is the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives that makes our hearts receptive to this good news, to hear the word preached, and to see our lives transformed by him. It is the Holy Spirit working in us that allows us to hear him, allows us to give him glory. And it is this beautiful news that the angels longed to look upon. When the angels heard that Christ had been born, they announced it to the shepherds, but then, in their excitement, it, they burst forth from heaven, singing glory to God in the highest and peace 
on among those whom he is well pleased. The angels saw the birth of Christ, and they were amazed, and they sang glory. For certainly they knew that God would have the final word, but then they saw the word made man, and how they rejoiced. When our, paternal, when our perspective becomes eternal, when we realize that we can trust God's word, that it will not be breathed out and be left void, but rather it will fill the world, when we see that our suffering has hope, what can overcome us? Rather, we are called to be a people of hope, called to trust in God in all things, called to rejoice in all things. My friends, we are to be a people of hope, not beat down by the world, not angry, not, but rather trusting that all shall be well at the end. Another Anglican priest recently published an article, and it had this little gem in it. Christians, that is us, are a people of hope, whose imagination is shaped by the kingdom to come. That is a theological way of, to simply say, Christians have perspective. Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson reminds us. The arc of history is long, but bent towards justice, as Martin Luther King has observed. St. Peter is setting up so that when he starts to explain to the Christians in Asia Minor that yes, they will probably suffer, but to persevere, that they know how valuable that which they are persevering towards is. And in doing so, he invites us in to being a people of hope. Will you accept that invitation? Will you be a person of hope? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.